Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons Podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for the Ogletree Deacons podcast. My name is Karen Tynan, and I'm a shareholder in the Sacramento, California office. Here with me today is my favorite colleague, Kevin Bland, an Orange County shareholder. We're talking about California OSHA inspection tactics today. So, Kevin, let's talk about how inspections start and then the likely tactics that come with the first knock on the door or the inspector at the gate flashing the ID. So let's break that apart, Kevin. Talk about how these inspections start. Glad to be uh, here with you for the podcast today, Karen. So breaking this down, how do they start? Well, the basics are they start either with a complaint and a serious injury report are programmed and programmed means it popped up in their computer and they said, hey, this is the area we're going to search, visit today. This is the type. It could be roofing companies or it could be agriculture or whatever. It could be a subject matter uh, sweep. Heat. Yeah, heat illness, yeah. big one in the summer. Yeah, exactly. So that's how they start. But I think there's an important component in that uh, that from a standpoint you need to know, and this really deals with serious injuries. I've had cases where we reported a serious injury and the client reported it. Turns out they didn't get hospitalized. It didn't turn right. out to meet the definition of serious. So if they come and knock on your door, say we're here for that serious injury report, you say, hey, I called back and said this wasn't. So that's a false premise. If you give consent, though, now you've given consent. You can't argue that. So you need to really think about what you're consenting to to initiate the inspection. Have you ever had that happen with yours, Karen? I, I have. Actually, I had it happen recently where we reported a fingertip amputation because that is the information we had from the hospital. And then guess what? It turned out it wasn't an amputation. It was a laceration, right? But but that happens, I think, a lot in fingertip injuries where you're just not really sure. Maybe there was a crushing and people thought there was an amputation and then they get to the hospital and it's not. And it's very tough to get information at the early stages. And we have such short deadlines to report. Right. It, right. right? it says immediately right. and no longer than eight hours. And forget about the 24 hour exception because you'll spend $20,000 fighting over whether you should have gotten 5,000 penalty. Exactly. <laughs> and so I do think that was an important practice pointer is when you're trying to get this information in early and timely, sometimes that information changes and you can have an inspector show up and say, hey, I'm here about that serious injury you reported last week or two days ago. And oops, I I called and corrected that information. Right. And now they don't have the premise for their consent. Uh, And I have successfully, like you have, stop them from going on with their uh, inspection on that basis. So the person's showing up, this inspector, and they're going to, um, you know, one of my pet peeves is when it gets called a badge. It's a laminated identification. (laughs) It's not a badge. So the inspector is going to show their laminated identification, right? 
and asked to speak to someone, asked for the person in charge. And then what really happens next? What do, what do you see as the next touch point? What should employers be thinking about in, as that inspection starts? What, what are the tactics they're going to see? First of all, trying to figure out what they're there to look for, right? And is it a wall-to-wall? So narrowing that scope with them. And their tactic oftentimes is, remember, they don't have to tell you the truth about everything. And or they can say, hey, I'm just I just want to come. I want to look at this one thing. Well, remember, that's a tactic. Soften the nerves. Be friendly. This is what they're doing. Trying to lull you into a a friendship and say, hey, if if I just let him do or she do what she wants to, we'll get off scot free. So and we'll get it done and we'll get it done. So remember. You or have one job from the minute he shows up or she shows up for an inspection, and that's to try to avoid citations. They only have one job. That is to try to issue citations. So if you keep that in mind, no matter how they're behaving, (laughs) good, bad, or indifferent, keep that in the back of your mind. So once you have, you know, I think your question was, what's what's next? You've narrowed the scope. Then the inspection is going to begin. Right. And you're going to go outside and do a, a walkthrough. And, and Karen, you and I have talked about this. There. Be careful where you take them. Take them the way that you think is the least visible for them to see any violations. Right. And, and you go back and you look at it. And so some of the tactics are they'll look, walk by something and they'll say, hey, you know, this looks I'm not going to write you for this. But uh, can you fix this? And you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, you know what? I was just meaning to that was. That yeah. was, I saw this this morning and I was going to fix this. I know this is a violation and thank you for not writing this for it. Well, <laughs> do, can they write you on the spot for anything? No, <laughs> but they, they will later when they go talk to their district manager, right? Right. And we get the package back and it has a picture and a circle of the violation you just admitted to, even though it may not have been a violation, right? right? And then you're arguing about what well, you said it was there. So keep in mind that they're going to point things out and make it sound like you're not going to get violations. The best answer is what, Karen, whenever they say that? Oh, okay. I'll look into that. Exactly. Right. Right. It's very very noncommittal. And still cooperative. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for pointing out. We'll take a look at that. Right. hundred percent. And what do you think of when the inspector's doing the walk around and they say they point to Mary Sue, who's on the salad line, right? They're, they're making the package salads that we love. And they, they point over there and say, hey, could I talk to that gal? She's operating that machine that, I, that I, I'm concerned about. Go tap her on the shoulder. Bring her over here. I want to talk to her. What, what do you see that tactic as being problematic? Should you be cooperative? What are the risks? Good question. So first of all, you want to be cooperative. But think about this. They're trying to pull someone off of a line in which, mm-hmm. so that's not an, that's not necessarily safe. You right. have a certain number of employees that are doing their job and you're distracting them. So that's the thing to remind and think about and remind the inspector, hey, we'll set up interviews at, yeah. at, a, at a time and we'll make sure that the employees are here. They're on the clock. We can pay them. We'll bring in, uh, you know, extra uh, for that shift so that you can talk to them, whatever the right. case may be, but we're not going to just randomly pull folks off. It's not safe. I don't have a staff enough to replace them. And that's a very good answer. And it's fair. And it's fair, right? Uh, there is an area in the labor code that can't unreasonably disrupt your operations for their inspections. And, right. and a lot of, lot of inspectors, I don't think intentionally, but they right. forget about that and they don't think about that. 
Right. And they want to grab someone kind of cold and ask them questions. And I do see that as a tactic that gets used a lot. Let, let me talk to this person on, the, you know, during my walk around. And also I usually, and I wouldn't say admonish, but I advise safety professionals. When you're on the walk around and you think you're having a chat, the notes are going to say interview. Yeah, exactly. And they're going to say admissions, right? Yeah, right? So so is it ever a chat when you're walking around with the inspector, Kev? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Obviously, that's why we want to not be the one asking answering or asking questions. We don't want to be reaching any conclusions during the conversation. Mm-hmm. If they ask where this is, this is where this is. If right. they ask something about, say, your heat illness or your answer, hey, we can look at that. The documents are here in the office. We'll take a look at that. Yeah. So keep like that. that in mind. Hey, Karen, while we're on this this topic of uh, walk-arounds, and now we've we've talked to folks, what do, what do you think of, uh, and they say, hey, can you uh, show me how that amputated that finger? Can you just recreate <laughs> that scene for me? What do you do when the inspector says something like that? I hate reenactments and um, I've never seen it play out well for an employer. I certainly, when I'm involved from the get go, you know, which happens with you and I a lot where immediately after an accident, we're, we're there with the client, but sometimes in an effort to understand an accident, I can see safety professionals or operational people think that, oh, well, if I can show how the employee did something wrong, or I can really show how this machine works and how the guard, um, even though it was disengaged, should have been engaged, right? They think a reenactment is helpful, and it's not. I also think they can be dangerous, Kevin. Yeah. What, do you, what do you think well, about that? Well, that was, that was going to be what I mm-hmm. was going to say is, think about this, what they're asking. Can you show me how... And do it again, how this machine cut the finger off. I'm not going to reenact that. And, and then, but akin to this is, can you demonstrate how the machine works? Ugh. That's another one. I see I see your yeah. face. Uh, why don't you yes. talk a little bit about the uh, demonstrations. demonstrations? Yeah, I think it's important to know that, and I, I've had this issue quite a bit, and I had this issue in a, a shingle factory where the inspector said, uh, hey, I want a demonstration of this particular process where you change out a piece of equipment. And that that piece of equipment got changed out every six months. And we had an accident when it was getting changed out. And so I said to the inspector, hey, we're not going to redo that maintenance process for you as a demonstration. But when it's scheduled again, which will be in exactly six months, you can come back and watch that. And we have no problem. We'll notify you. Well, he didn't like that. But that's what the rules say, right? You're not required to demonstrate anything. Is there a labor code that says you must execute a demonstration upon the demand by an inspector? (laughs) No, absolutely not, Karen. And good point. It really goes to the disruption, right? I think what you said is worth emphasizing. You are welcome to watch whenever that operation Yes. It's happening again. It could be the six months, like you said. Yeah. It could be annual. It could be something that happens three times a month. Right. You know, and, and that's probably more uh, mm-hmm. more common. We see that. Uh, 
But uh, and you can come and watch the machine operate. But we're not going to demonstrate. And I'll tell you, for me, uh, the thing that happens is the folks operating get nervous. Oh, and if they make yes. a mistake there, then it's recorded or it's documented. And so, um, if they're in their regular work habit, and we find right. that really most of our clients are doing things the right way, it's an anomaly when yes. something happens. So I don't have a problem with that. But you're going to do it on our on our schedule, not on demand. Right. And I've had that happen where an inspector wants to see the startup of a line, let's say a manufacturing line, yeah. or the startup of a process, because that's maybe when the accident happened. Well, maybe that happens at 630 in the morning. Maybe it happens on third shift, right? Third shift does a lot of maintenance, a lot of cleaning. Well, hey, come back on third shift. We do that task at 10 o'clock at night. That's what we're going to do. And um, I know you had a case that we worked on together in L.A. where third shift with some cleaning processes. Yep, that's yeah, when Kelly We were there at 1 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's, yeah. and, and that is the rule. That is the process. And it's reasonable. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, and the best thing about that is we didn't have to deal with traffic, <laughs> right? Especially in LA, 100%. So, so our takeaway from this point is no reenactments and no quote-unquote demonstrations. Observations are fine. We'll work it out. You come here and observe whatever, no problems. Exactly. So what do you think about some doc? Is there, do you ever see any document tactical strategies coming from the division and co-shows, Karen? I do. And I, I specifically want to talk with you, Kevin, about the tactic in a document request of asking for the accident investigation, because I think that is a tactic we see frequently. I think it's a tactic that can be effective for the, the inspectors. And I think it's an area that employers need to have a strategy around. Do, would you kind of, okay, so I've made my overarching statement. What do you think of that? No, absolutely. And I, as a matter of fact, I just had this conversation uh, two days ago on uh, a, a new case that, that came in. Uh, they do a very elaborate root cause analysis under privilege but they don't do an accident investigation that isn't privileged. And so we talked right. about an accident investigation to meet the requirements for the IIPP can be very simple and factual yes. and not privileged. Date, who was, who was there, who got injured, extent. And under causation, if you're still doing your analysis, you can say at the time of the submission, it's yeah. un, un, undecided TV. yet or still yeah. still under investigation, whatever it is. Because all the IIPP says is you have to do that, right? 100%. Now, didn't yeah. you have a case on this, Karen, that you I won? I did. Okay. I did. Talk about that for a second <laughs> while we have some time. Yeah. And this came down to the document request, and it was that tactic exactly, Kev. And the judge ruled, and it was one of your great Southern California judges, and we went to trial on that case. And her ruling was, yes, you must do an accident investigation under your IIPP, but there is nowhere in the IIPP regulation that requires the tender of that document, especially if it's privileged, to Cal OSHA. And it was a big loss for them. And, and it's a DAR, a, a decision after reconsideration, because Cal OSHA appealed it. 
So that's good law. Exactly what you're saying about, yes, you can have an accident investigation under the IIPP, but if you're doing your root cause analysis or you have an accident investigation that's privileged, the IIPP regulation does not require disclosure of that. Very good point. And congratulations on your big <laughs> win because that's 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 yeah. huge. And for those that are listening that may not know what a DAR or decision after reconsideration is, that is basically Cal OSHA's version of case law. It's yes. like a court of appeals decision in civil. Uh, yes. It's the appeals board decision where they uh, uh, that becomes the governing law of the land in Cal OSHA cases until it's overturned or right. uh, decided uh, differently in which generally is not once it's in a, a decision after reconsideration, those stand. I'm glad you, you mentioned that. And I also, in document request, another tactic that I see that there's a bit of a rub in the law on is that the document request will say, provide a list of employees working that day with their phone numbers and home addresses, <laughs> or it'll, it will ask for some type of list or an org chart. Now, Kevin, are you required to create documents pursuant to a document request? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say absolutely <laughs> not. It's fine. I just had this conversation with a client yesterday where they did just exactly uh, that. Don't you don't have to. It's a document request. It's not a request to create document. If you've got the document, then they're probably entitled to it. Uh, there is some things to, you know, the labor code, there's, it's pretty broad in what they yes. can, they can get. So, but, uh, but if you're thinking strategically, cause they're thinking strategically when they write those, yes. is it a document I have? If it is okay, what does it have? What is privacy? So like the, the, right. the they may have a right to the phone numbers, but the employees have a right to privacy too, that you yes. have to balance against. So oftentimes will respond with, let's say, redact the private information from the employee. That way they have the names and they can decide who they want to interview. And then the, the, the individual can decide whether or not they want to give them that information in the interview. It's It doesn't hide information from them. They get what they need, protect the employee's privacy. Everybody gets what they need in the end. I like that, Kevin, and I like you. Never create you like documents. Me? Oh, <laughs> I like you, Kevin. Karen. <laughs> um, I said you're the little brother I never had. Right, <laughs> growing up, I had two sisters, no little brother. So, so with that, I I'd never create documents, and usually in response, I will say document requests don't require the creation of documents, and sometimes if I'm Wanting to be particularly cooperative, I'll say, but here's a list of people or whatever. Yeah. And I do, like you, respect employee privacy. And I always ask employees about giving any information like cell phone numbers, addresses, all that. And, and I will say, and you probably have this too in Southern California, you will get some inspectors who kind of, let's say, get their feathers a little ruffled about that. <laughs> We're entitled. Yeah. We demand. Yeah. Well, and you know, and this is something on, I may be maybe going down a rabbit hole on these phone numbers, but also I find 90% of the time it feels like whatever's in the file for their contact isn't good anymore anyway. Right. So we give them this and then they don't. So if we're really wanting to facilitate it, when they have the interview, they get whatever their current address and phone number is and, and everything, because yeah. it's really 
for future. It's not for the present. And in, in the context of the issue citation, they need to know where to send a subpoena or whatever, right. you know. And to close out that tactic on the document request, you know, when we do work with clients who have union represented employees, I see employees a lot of times who'll say, hey, hey, bro, I don't really want you to have my cell phone number. Just contact me through the business agent mm-hmm. of local 296 or whatever. I'm totally fine with that. Do you, are you okay with that? I'm, I'm fine with that too. And in the same token, some will say you can contact me through the, just call the company. Yes. And, 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 and we have that too. And that's perfectly fine. I like yeah. that, Kevin. So as we kind of close out the talking about tactics, I know employee interviews, I think we've done a whole podcast on interviews, but let's just touch on some of the tactics in interviews. I, I do see that inspectors have some tactics, including requests to record, requests to sign their notes, right? Hey, bro, I, I wrote up these notes from our interview here. Could you just sign these for me? What do you think of those tactics and, and how do you manage being respectful and maybe not really saying yes. Well, you know, first on the recording, California law absolutely gives the person being recorded the right to say yes or no. Uh, and then I get this question, well, why don't we, then we know exactly what they said and what was said. And I, and, and the issue isn't that I'm worried so much about what they said and didn't say. I'm worried about the form of the question. And the issue is there's no judge, there's no swearing in, uh, there's no able to not, you know, you can't object to the form of the question like you are in a deposition. And so it's very hard to unring that bell. And as we know, in administrative hearings, hearsay gets admitted fairly freely and often. And so I don't like recordings uh, because of that. And most people don't like to be recorded either. Most of the employees, when I talk Other to them. Other than this podcast, I don't like to be recorded, Kevin. <laughs> Do you recording this? Now you tell me? Did you get yeah, my, you're consent? my little brother recording this. <laughs> and then as far as signing uh, the document, when they put that in front of you, there's a couple things that uh, I always point out to folks. One is that isn't what they said. That's the, uh, the inspector's interpretation and version of what they heard you say. So it's really not your words, it's their words. And when you adopt it, you've adopted their words, number one. Yes. Number two, they do this real quick. You're all done, leave that. And, and most people aren't thinking legally. They're thinking practically. Oh, that's pretty close to what I said. Sign it. Okay, no big deal. Now you've adopted it. And so that's why, and it's not trying to be nefarious. It's not trying right. to, it's that if we're going to have accurate facts and accurate information, then fine. But this isn't accurate. This is basically it's a notes. paraphrase summary. And a lot of times they don't even have the freaking question. They right. just have the answer and they right. can decide whatever the question was when we're in hearing, right. which can change. Right. right. So, sorry, I went off on a tangent. No, and, and I'll close out when an inspector says to me, you know, I really want to record. I don't know why you're not. It's just going to take longer because now it's going to be slower and I've got to take notes. And I usually say, well, I'm getting paid by the hour, (laughs) you know. And so is usually the person being deposed. (laughs) Right. So, so, you know, it's fine. We're Mm -hmm. however long it takes, sir or ma'am. And we're good with that. So, so I like your, your anecdotes and, and uh, sharing these tactics, Kevin. 
we'll tell our listeners, thanks for listening to Karen and Kevin. Uh, look for our blog articles on Ogletree.com. And also Kevin and I have a ton of webinars that are content on Ogletree.com. And we have other podcasts, including uh, quite a library with primers, a lot of Cal OSHA subjects, accidents and fatalities. So take care and stay safe. Have a great day, everyone. Be safe. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.